Welcome to the Bards FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to A Conversation with 107, Part 2. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots, and tonight is Wednesday, June 29th in the year 2020. And tonight we're going to have the second part of the 107 interview. Part two, and it's going to be a very interesting one. We're going to start getting into what's really behind the takeover of the Republic. Who is it? And what's this looking like for us ahead? Before we begin, make sure that you're getting a good night's sleep and you're taking care of yourself with great products to ensure that. The best way to ensure a good night's sleep is MyPillow.com. MyPillow.com forward slash Bards is the Bards Nation's landing page, and it's there that we have some of the latest featured deals of everything that's going on on the MyPillow site. Continuing with this is the buy one, get one free offer with your promo code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, with all sorts of amazing savings. That includes buy one, get one free for Giza sheets, buy one, get one free for the classic MyPillow. And right now, even just as my MyPillows, they're down as low as 1988. And, of course, then we have the new super all-terrain My Slippers, that super sole that's on the bottom of that that I think literally you can climb walls. It's so fantastic, like Spider-Man. So you get you can get $90 off on a pair of My Slippers. That's $49.98 right on the sale price with your promo code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S. But all these savings are amazing, including the six-piece towel set, buy one, get one free. You've got... Even the roll-and-go anywhere pillows, the little travel pillows, buy one, get one free. Mattresses, 30% off, just on and on. MyPillow is the patriot source for all things bedroom and bath. So head on over to MyPillow.com forward slash Bards. Use your promo code Bards, B-A-R-D-S. And if you want to speak to a patriot pillow counselor, a real person, they're on standby waiting to help you. Call 800-975-2939. 800-975-2939. Use your promo code BARDS and they'll get you totally hooked up. So again, Patriots, MyPillow.com forward slash BARDS, promo code BARDS for the one-stop shop to buy great products to sleep, great products for the bed and bath, knowing that all your dollars in one way or another go to fight for liberty in this nation. So tonight, Patriots, we're going to have the second part of the interview that we started last night, part two with Juan O'Savin. This is a very interesting interview. A lot of new things are going to open up. He offers a lot of good explanations and framing of a lot of the challenges that we currently face. We know right now that the one thing that we have to do is to fix 2020. This rush to get to 2022 is ludicrous. We're not going to be able to solve the problems of our country by assuming that we can vote and do the same thing over and over and expect a different result. By definition, that is insanity. Now, I think that this leaves a lot of people in question, like, well, what do we do? Well, the first thing we have to do is continue to open people's eyes and inform them and get them to understand how bad 2020 was. It doesn't matter 
whether you voted for Biden or voted for Trump. This has nothing to do with that. This has to do with free and fair elections that are secure in our nation. So while you, we all know that the election was stolen, many people get, take offense to the fact that somehow we're trying to get Trump back in. Look, I'd fight for the same thing if this happened with Trump against Trump, or however you want to say that. We have to have free and fair elections in our nation, and 2020 is the benchmark of hell for this nation. Absolutely have to get there. So we have to continue to stress fix 2020, hashtag fix 2020, and we need to get it everywhere. There's all sorts of great films out there to help educate, and that's another resource that's been made available by some amazing efforts of patriots across this nation. We know that we've talked about, we've had Greg Phillips on with 2,000 Mules. That's a great film. We also have The Plot Against the President. That's another film. Rigged, the Zuckerberg-funded plot to defund or defeat President Trump. Another film called Rigged, the Voter Suppression Playbook. Capital Punishment. We had Nick Searcy on last week. Then we have The Deep Rig, which is another one, and Selection Code, which is coming up in August. Now, if you'd like to know where to get all of these films, there's I've posted this with links on the Gab, Bards FM Gab site, and on the True Social Bards FM site. Scroll down, it's pinned on both, and you'll go down and see them, and it has all the links for those films. This is a great resource to get to people, to have them understand what's at stake. 2,000 Mules is probably the most impactful of them all because it got people to realize and understand that this was a very complex rigging across this nation. In fact, over 70% of the people that have watched 2,000 Mules have agreed that the election is now rigged. That's very significant. As I've talked about many times and I mentioned in the interview with Greg Phillips, when you have a sentiment shift like that in a nation based on one film, that is a huge impact. Next up in August is Selection Code, and that is a film that Mike Lindell has funded, and that features Laura Logan, who we have yet to have on the show, but she has an open invitation, and I'm working to get her on the show. And, of course, we, we talked to Matt and Jill Thayer on Monday, who are the director-producers of the film. And this film is going to get into the inside of the machines, and there's more coming, according to Greg Phillips and according to Mike Lindell and according to Juan Osaban. There are some other big disclosures coming that are going to really rock this nation. Our mission right now is so important to get people to realize that it doesn't matter who you vote for. I really could care less. You want to vote for Woody Harold? I don't care. The fact is you're never going to have a free and fair election if we don't stop 2022 and fix 2021. Because all this is going to do is perpetuate a crime with a criminal cabal that's going to use every moment they have to try to control and seize control permanently of the election system. So we need lots of focus on awakening the people. So with that, let's kick in to this one-hour interview, part two, with Juan Osaven. Let's pivot a little bit and talk about this other crises that were a number of crises we're dealing with right now in the nation because we're dealing with fuel shortages, food shortages. We've got unconstitutional red flag laws that were just passed. And then at the same time, we have this amazing vote for the Supreme Court, which is undoing Roe versus Wade. The indication there is the court has somehow been able to function 
outside of a threat of something bigger, even though Roe versus Wade is a huge issue. And then at the same time, we're confronted as individuals in the country with a crushing crisis that's really trying to break the back of the entire economic structure. Your thoughts? Well, you know, and I believe me, I know how I sound to some of the people out there. There's some people, yeah, 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 I agree with you. There's other people going, wow, this, you know, he sounds over the top. Listen, in my experience, I'm just giving you my opinion, but it's not mine solely. There's plenty of us out here that have similar belief or feeling or understanding, whatever way you want to put it. And it comes from a lot of years. I got some guys with long gray hair on their noggins from when I was a kid that were saying this long before this generation. There is a global mob that has a plan, a plot, a scheme to get into some kind of position to run the whole globe, if you will. Uh, we see it all over the place. It's like a James Bond film, literally. The thing that's hard for people to get their mind around, in the James Bond film, you have like a villain or you have Vector with a bunch of villains working together with one villain that's running all of them. This situation we're in right now, it's like all 25 Bond films rolled into one. <laughs> I've used that exact analogy. Yeah. If you look at if you if you look at all the various ways that in each Bond film it's the villain trying to get control of this or that or something else, they're all here right now <laughs> working together. So let me let me come at it slightly different direction for just half a moment. I I mentioned Soros being run by British MI six. Uh, and and uh, in in Britain, uh, MI5 handles internal security, kind of like our FBI. MI6 is external security, uh, and that's like our CIA, just for kind of a comparison to kind of have a mental picture. And then Bond is like a little step above. He's on His Majesty's Secret Service. He actually works directly precisely for the king or the queen, whoever the monarch is in power, has their own personal little security operation on his majesty's secret service. Um, kind of an intelligence branch within the intelligence branch uh, serving just the monarch. But uh, in this situation where President Trump was attacked, both before and after he became president, what what was the location that the attack came out of uh, primarily? Well, it was the city of London, and it was the dossier. Where was that concocted at? The guy who actually did all the uh, genius work, the Bonzonian uh, mastermind chess player that did all that work, is a guy by the name of Stephen Halper. Stephen Halper was a aid in the Reagan White House in the early 80s, and then in the mid-80s, uh, he became uh, a banking genius suddenly overnight. And what kind of banking was he doing? Well, he's the unindicted co-conspirator 
on Iran-Contra. He was a banker. He went from an aide in the Reagan White House, and he's the banker working with Ollie North. And where was the, where was the banking being done? It was uh, guns for money to go get other guns for the Contras that support them in South America because we had what was called the Boland Amendment that blocked us from supporting any groups that were trying to block uh, the communists, Russia and China, from using drug money and taking over uh, governments in South America. And so you had to come up with money to fight the communists in other ways. So Ollie North had some arms that he got off of Israel and he sold them to the Iranians for cash and then he took the cash and used it to buy other guns in South America covertly, uh, munitions, weapons, whatever, and gave it to the Contras to fight the Sandinistas in Nicaragua. So uh, who handled the money? Well, that was Stephen Halper. When, when uh, Von Hall is uh, working as the secretary and aide Holly North in the White House. Uh, and I know I'm, we're talking to a lot of younger folks that, that don't know this stuff, but I'm also talking to a bunch of older folks that know this stuff and remember it very clearly. So I'm, I'm trying to give you a little history here. Uh, Fawn Hall is a very attractive aide to Ollie North. And by the way, she's uh, now in her 70s and she's still hot. So there. Um, and Ollie's teaching Sunday school there in Virginia. But um, uh, and, and by the way, I, I sometimes get a little animated about uh, Oliver North. The reality is, patriot, good guy, fighting the good fight. Uh, I'm not besmirching him personally, but let me just say this. Uh, all that said, and good guys sometimes do things that when you have the benefit of many, many, many years, you look back on it and you go, uh, right guy, right idea, major boo-boo, major mistake. So what did he do? He is destroying all the paperwork in the basement at the White House related to Iran-Contra, the gun running, the drug running, everything. Because Congress is looking into uh, this money that was being spent to get uh, – uh, guns to the Nicar or to the Contras to fight in Nicaragua, and uh, see if it's a violation of the Boland Amendment to get it to uh, President Reagan and prosecute Reagan in a way kind of like they're going after Trump now. So, Ali's destroying all the records, but some of the records were so critical, so important, so sensitive that you couldn't destroy them. So, Ali gives the papers. Stefan Hall, and she stuffs them in her go-go boots and bra and smuggles them out of the White House. And then later it gets discovered that this has happened. She testifies about it uh, during the Iran-Contra hearing. So I have a question for you. What kind of papers would be so critical that you could not destroy them? You had to keep them. You needed them for something, and you couldn't just run them through the shredder and the incinerator and all the other stuff in the basement of the White House before Congress showed up. What do you suppose those papers were? I can only imagine they had to be personally incriminating of some fashion. 
or blackmail papers? No. No. All the bank account numbers and the certificate of deposit. <laughs> oh, of course. I didn't even think about it that way. Of course. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and so when they smuggled that out and got it out of there, I mean, you know, you could write it down on a piece of paper or whatever. How are you going to get all those numbers and everything right, right? Everything else you could destroy, but you needed that account information and the signage and the, you know, original certificates, et cetera. Again, who was in charge of the banking? The unindicted, you never heard about them, nobody said a thing, unindicted co-conspirator on Iran-Contra doing the banking stuff, Stefan Halper. So where's Stefan Halper go? Where'd he disappear to? He's an American citizen. Where'd he disappear to? He's working in the Reagan White House. He goes over to London. He goes over to Cambridge University. He becomes a professor at Cambridge University. And he still keeps his, you know, spy world contacts and his banking contacts and everything else. And he gets Department of Defense contracts to, you know, aid in, you know, uh, spy strategies and technologies and all that. He's getting payoff money for decades and decades, all the way back to Iran-Contra. That was 1989, 90, 91. He's still getting the payoffs, and he's living over there in Cambridge as a professor. Wow. And who's he actually working for? He's working for MI6. And by the way, he's the guy in this Spectre-type operation who dreams up the whole idea of how to frame Papadopoulos. He has an aide. He's a professor at Cambridge. He has an aide, a sexy little hot babe in her go-go boots. And uh, she tries to bed Papadopoulos. Papadopoulos has a world-class beauty of a wife, Christian gal. They, they accused her of being a Russian spy and Papadopoulos of being some dope who fell victim to a Russian spy, that all came out of Halper and his crew. His wife is Italian. She's smoking hot. And they tried to get him. They thought that because he has, you know, attracted beautiful women, he'd be attracted to another beautiful one. They tried to get him to bed this aid of uh, helpers or get him in a compromising situation. He didn't fall for it. Then. Uh, uh, the whole thing and the oil thing and all that that Papadopoulos did. Papadopoulos was a pretty smart cookie. They baited him into going over to Israel on an oil gas deal, stuff that he actually was doing. And then they wanted to give him payoff uh, of $10,000. And they, they literally practically forced it on him before they let him out of Israel. Something thanks to high heaven. His senses were keen enough, even though he could use the ten grand, he needed it. He stops in Greece, where they had baited him over to Israel on this thing. He stops in Greece, finds an attorney, explains what happened, gives the attorney the money because he thinks it might be March bills or something. And the attorney throws it in the safe. When Papadopoulos gets back to the U.S., a couple days later, FBI stops him. They go through all his bags and everything. They think they're going to get him on a uh, crime of coming through at customs with more than $10,000. He just had $5 more on him. He'd have got nailed. And, uh, 
he doesn't have any of the money on him. They're tearing his bag apart trying to figure it out. Uh, he was a smart cookie. Um, the guy who set that up was, was uh, Stefan Halper. Then Stefan Halper also does a security conference for spies and, and, and intelligence operatives for big companies uh, over at Cambridge. And he invites everybody in. And he has Flynn over there to speak. And so while he's there, all these other you know representatives from other countries that are all spies for other agencies, uh, looking like they're just corporate security, do the whole thing. When Flynn comes home, and then we go through the whole thing with Reagan, Flynn is accused by these people out of England of having bedded a Russian gal as though she's, uh, he was, and she's a known spy for the Russians. And so Flynn supposedly bedded her. And so now he's a security comp- compromised security person and he's actually in bed with the Russian spy. He's got a great wife. They've been married for 30, 40 years already. They have kids there. He loves her to death. Uh, it's a total scam. Never happened. Got proven never happened in this whole play out with the dossier. Who again is the central figure? This uh, chess master setting up all these situations, etc. Stefan Halper, if Ollie North had not destroyed all the records in the White House back at Iran-Contra, if we had been able to see what actually had been going on down at Don Hall's property there in Costa Rica at the airstrip that North managed, where the drugs and guns were being exchanged back and forth and, and crews changed and fueled, etc. If we had those records, you would never have gotten either of the Bushes into the presidency. Think about what that might have looked like to the country. And if you didn't have either of the Bushes into the presidency, arguably, I don't believe you would have had 9-11. I agree with that. Okay. And by the way, you wouldn't have got a Clinton in office either. Because all of the connection to Clinton as governor and uh, ADFA, Arkansas Development Finance Authority, which was the money laundering operation in Arkansas. And by the way, it wasn't just Arkansas. Uh, There was 12 states total. Nebraska Development Finance Authority, Illinois Development Finance Authority, Kentucky Development Finance Authority, uh, Georgia Development Finance Authority. Uh, You go right around the country, they had them all over the place. That was the money laundering operations for the drugs that were being brought in, protected by the CIA. Who was head of the Drug Interdiction Task Force as vice president under Reagan? George Bush. So you wouldn't have got a Clinton presidency or either of the Bush presidencies. And I would even go one step further because Brennan's there in the background creating fake histories. That's what his job was over at the CIA, was creating fake histories before he went over to Saudi Arabia uh, and became station chief there for the CIA. And then came back under Obama and became head of the CIA. Uh, What was Brennan doing? He was creating fake histories. You know, places like Columbia University where Michael Medved, the radio talk show host, went to school for four years to get his political science degree 
with about 23 other students. And in the four years that he's at Columbia University, another student who graduated the same year as he did gets a political science degree, goes on to be you know, a law professor at Harvard, etc. Barack Obama, Michael Medved, never, ever in four years, all those students work together. They're working on the same degree. They're comparing notes. They're meeting in the lunchroom. They're meeting in the library. They're living on campus. Four years, Michael Medved never once saw this leading student, Barack Obama, ever, not once. Where did the CIA create history? A lot of his, the histories that Brennan created for guys working in operations all over the world, what I call corn, came out of Columbia University. Brennan created the fake history for Obama. You see, you send guys over to the farm there in Virginia to learn how to you know, do intelligence and work undercover and what things you can and can't do and how to do a report and all that stuff. And when they're done, they're a farm product. And we haven't, they can go get extra training at various ones and all that. But what's, what's the biggest crop that we grow here in America? Corn. So when they get done being processed at the farm to learn how to do intelligence operations all over the world, they're corn. I laugh at them. Robert David Steele and I used to tease him about it because he was a CIA officer, worked in the, uh, doing orange revolutions in other countries, overturning governments and controlling what was going on. You know, file clerk. He wasn't working undercover. He had stuff that he, he did that, you know, was, you know, not, was clandestine, but not the same. Not somebody working under non-official cover. If he got discovered in it, you know, okay, yeah, he's working for State Department. You know, he's got a cover and he can come back home. Uh, non-official cover, a little different story. And that's the guys that go to the farm. And, uh, uh, you know, that's the kind of histories that are created out of thin air. you got a guy that was literally a farm product, corn, creation of the CIA, and he gets promoted up to the presidency on bullshit. And then the guy who helped create his history and promote him gets to be head of the CIA. Are you kidding me? Give me a break. That's what stolen election, fraud in the electoral system allows to get promoted up and up and up through the ranks. And that's what we're dealing with right now here in America. So this is really looking more and more like we're going to have to have some sort of, by definition of the Declaration of Independence, you're going to have to have an overthrow because there is a, the peaceful paths to this are being exploited to their max, but the corruption in this is deep. And, and I'm not advocating for any sort of sense of violence, but the point being that we're, we're kind of being pushed into a corner. And I think part of this is they want us there to provoke a civil war, is my personal thoughts. Well, and that's what I've talked about uh, over the last uh, year and a half. Um, when President Trump was in the White House uh, on December 18th, and his friends, good people, great people, intelligent people, attorneys, military, people that had a feel for where the country was at emotionally and, and, and what was going on in the election and these challenges that were upset. 
they came to him on December 18th. Rudy Giuliani, uh, uh, Mike Flynn, I think Joe Flynn was there too. Uh, Sidney Powell, uh, his own personal attorney, Stallone, uh, uh, and others were there at the White House with them and they were arguing with them. They were cajoling him. They were wrestling with him. Please, please, please sign the Insurrection Act. Something's wrong with this election and there's fraud here. You cannot let it go forward. Congress is going to certify this election and put uh, somebody into office. It's not who the people voted for. There's problems in the vote. You know, simultaneous to all this. I'm in the courts in Nevada. I'm, I'm watching the attorneys and, and how the cases are going. I'm talking to people in other states around the country. We know that something isn't right. We're looking at external data where we, but we are looking at uh, historic vote records and stuff like that. And then we're comparing the outcomes with what um, we can see externally. It'd be like, uh, well, I know the car had an accident because there's a great big, huge dent in the fender and the lights broken out and the windshield cracked and everything else. Okay. So I can see something happened. It's not pristine. But I don't know where the accident happened precisely. The kid ran away, you know, the skid marks are there, whatever. It's all external observation, but it's not direct observation. So we're, we're comfortable that we know something bad happened. We just don't know exactly what happened. But we know that we, we got to put the brakes on, uh, try to pause this while we try to figure out, you know, what just happened on the vote. Um, the president and, and everybody in your audience probably remembers this yo-yo, you know, it's going to get flipped. It's going to get discovered. We're going to see this and that. So the courtrooms are going to change something here. Uh, Texas is, you know, trying to get the Supreme Court to force these states to go in and look at uh, their vote and before they certify. There's, there's all these gyrations going on. I mean, people are telling the president, you got to sign the Insurrection Act. There, that something's happened with these certain states, uh, what was presented to him at the time was six states um, in the internal report that goes to Navarro, why Navarro was arrested the other day. He wouldn't give up uh, his information and, and side of how that came together, refused to cooperate with the select committee and, uh, you know, on what was done inside the White House because it's none of their business because they're, first of all, they're not a legal congressional committee. They're a star chamber the way they were set up. There's not actually correct representation there. And then they're not constitutional the way that they're done. So that's the argument that Navarro has made. And he literally sued the select committee, the January 6th committee, for being a, an illegal um, uh, operation. And after he sued them, they turned around and had him arrested. Uh, you know, congressionally uh, arrested. And uh, so he's got to fight all that. Um, and uh, so within that context, all of these gyrations are happening at the same time, coming up on January 6th. And in December 18th, the president initially agreed, okay, uh, let's look at the legalities, go write the papers up so I can do it. What he literally is doing is trying to get everybody out of the White House because it's late, he's tired, He's heard all their arguments. 
Um, he consults with uh, uh, Mark Meadows, his chief of staff. And in the morning when Sidney Powell shows back up at the White House to get to work, writing up the legal documentation for the president to sign the Insurrection Act, uh, her White House uh, card uh, permit to enter the uh, facility is canceled. She doesn't get any answers, finally gets the, you know, somebody, I think it was Meadows, and is told that uh, uh, they changed their mind and decided to go a different town. Um, why was the president being pressed at that exact moment? Because a year and a half earlier, on September 12, 2018, President Trump had signed an executive order. If you remember, it was Russia, Russia, Russia. They're trying to interfere in the election. Trump got into office because he had collusion with the Russians to cheat on the vote and uh, advertising like that, that that gave him an unfair advantage and he won the election because of Russian collusion. So Trump signed an executive order in that environment with all those accusations floating around and ordered that the Director of National Intelligence supervise the other 16 intelligence agencies in the Homeland Security, which is 17 total, CIA, FBI, NSA, uh, National Reconnaissance Office, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that they use all available assets, no budget, unlimited, to surveil, monitor, uh, watch over the 2020 election or any federal election the way it reads. So we did have an interim election there a few weeks later uh, in 2018. But um, on the 2020 election, they had this huge, just think of how great the largest intelligence gathering mechanism, machinery on planet Earth, every surveillance tool possible, thrown at watching the election. And the executive order says for any sign of foreign interference, in a federal election. So you have everything to throw at it. Um, but the executive order says that 45 days after any federal election, the director of national intelligence, which is Ratcliffe at that time, must provide the president and other agency heads with a report, uh, interim report, uh, outlining if there's been any foreign interference in the election. doesn't mean interference from within the state or somebody's sister went and voted and uh, tried to get their brother into office or something like that. It's foreign interference, nation-state-level stuff, uh, corporate foreign-based interference, some company offshore that's paying people off you know, for its own purposes to get somebody into office here in the United States. So uh, you have unlimited resources, the biggest intelligence gathering uh, monster on the planet, bigger than Russia and China thrown together. And uh, you have 45 days to compile an interim report. It doesn't have to be complete. You have to have what you know at that moment. If there's indications that require we look further 
to verify, vet, determine if our election had been interfered with and, and the outcome of the election might not uh, uh, be valid. So the date that that was supposed to be presented to President Trump was December 18th, the day all those people showed up at the White House. Several days before that, Director Ratcliffe, Director of National Intelligence uh, Agency, had said to reporters, people asking, that he didn't think he would be able to provide that interim report on time because some of the agency heads were not cooperating and were not going to be able to finish their report. It's an interim report. Provide what you got. The 18th shows up, no report. That's why the people were there saying, President, you've got to sign the Insurrection Act. This is an attempt to overthrow the government of the United States through a fraudulent vote, to put somebody else into power and take you out of power. And you're the, you're the one that won this vote. Everybody can see it. Everybody knows it. And President Trump initially said, yeah, okay, let's, let's work towards it. Then the next day says, no. Why did, why would President Trump sign the Insurrection Act? It certainly would have been beneficial to him. And these people are coming after him, not just him, his family, and all of the people that are working with him. All those people in federal positions he got, you know, brought into to job to assist. And now they're going to be threatened. They're going to lose their jobs. Why doesn't he protect all of them? Sign the Insurrection Act and get to the bottom of this. There's a very good reason. You know what that reason is? President Trump understood at that moment in time that if he signed the Insurrection Act in a stair-stepping manner by degrees, by summer of 2021, America would most likely be in a full-blown, all-out civil war. Because I could definitely see that. Yep, you you had the populace too evenly divided, and if you sign the Insurrection Act, it's based on a lot of incomplete, not fully developed information. If all of a sudden we're beating each other over the head and fighting over what the information actually might be or supposedly is, and we don't actually have the information, as you get into a state of deterioration, you can't possibly get people to go in and and look at the machines, look at the ballot, go through the court process in a coherent way. It's tough enough even with society halfway holding on. And with the vaccine and the mandates and the shutdowns and all that, it's going to be very difficult. All of a sudden, you'd have had uh, uh, people just blowing off the steam, deciding that they're going to take matters in their own hands. You'd have had this horrible situation because an insurrection act, signing it would mean that you would have to go out and get your political opponents who may have participated in all sorts of things in the vote a certain way. Uh, you'd have had a shootout. It would have been horrible. Instead, Trump bought America time. He asked America to show up on January 6th to make sure that Congress knew how they felt to be witnesses. Why do you show up at a trial? You're not on the jury. 
you have a jury there at the trial and somebody, you know, some big event happened and everybody's interested in the OJ thing or something like that. Why are people drawn to the spectacle of the trial? Why would they show up if it's a friend of theirs, a family member, something else? They want to be a witness and they want the other people present, the judge, the jury, the prosecutors, the other witnesses to know that they're watching. And if something is said that's not true or they can prove isn't true, they want to see that justice is done. America, two million American citizens, the largest gathering of American citizens in Washington, D.C. in history, more than the peace marches in the 60s, more than the race demonstrations in the 60s. Two million people showed up in the dead of winter. Those other events are in the summertime. It's fun. It's a, it's a you know, tailgate party. No, this is in the dead of winter. January 6th, a year and a half ago, and they wanted to be there, counted as witnesses, watching what Congress is doing. We're here. We want you to think again. And all that was being asked by President Trump, even to Pence and even to Congress, was don't certify the vote before you verify that it was, in fact, an honest vote, an honest election. Go back and check your facts. Go back and check uh, in the precincts and in the state counts and make sure there wasn't fraud here. That's what they were asking for, demanding. Because something isn't right here. Something's wrong. You can't do this. And so uh, they're there present. Uh, when Trump actually came out to speak there on the ellipse, he didn't speak on time. He kept delaying and delaying and delaying. It was over an hour later than even had been announced. When he finished speaking, they were already starting on the thing at the Capitol at the other end. Everybody was a long walk away as events started back at the Capitol because he was still speaking. Somebody had that engineered, and then they only opened the gates up a certain way, and they channeled all of that crowd like a herd of cattle towards the Capitol. And when they got towards the Capitol, they started piling up there. The police officers, the security people, actually fired concussive grenades, and then agitators in the crowd were using tear gas, mace, to push the crowd and maneuver the crowd and manipulate the crowd to get a certain effect. And then on the opposite side of the building, one side that was they were all trapped and, and getting squished, and on the other side of the building, and then trampled because of of these things being fired in the crowd. On the other side, they're just opening the door and waving them in, uh, trying to create a certain look. So, uh, in fact, I, I just finished work on a, a documentary that'll be out uh, just before Fourth of July. And uh, about January 6th with some of the people that were there present. And I think you'll, your audience will enjoy that. That'll be announced in a few days. But the whole point is, uh, President Trump, think of that crowd that showed up, 2 million people. If he'd signed the Insurrection Act and asked for it, you'd have those people show up and all the drama queens besides. You could have had a, a shootout, a, a, a huge confrontation right then and there. 
let alone waiting till summer. With certain states, everybody citing one side, no, ours was was right, true, and other states saying, no way, you're not going to take it from us. Look at Texas, the 28th state, banded together to try to get the Supreme Court to say, no, we're, we're you know, not going to allow this. But they did. So, you know, that's the kind of stuff that, that was going on coming up to that. Um, President Trump wisely did not sign the Insurrection Act or stop anything. And in the intervening year and a half, we've had the opportunity with a relatively stable government here in the United States and uh, nation to go in and start looking at the record, dissecting what actually occurred. And we've found fraud, just like the 2000 mule and other stuff that will continue to come over out over the next weeks and months showing just how they did it, how extensive it was. The election is a stolen election. We're going to prove it. All of America is going to see it. All the world's going to see it. There won't be a question before we're over, in my opinion. And unless you just want to believe the lie because you don't like the outcome, any honest person is going to agree 2020 went to Trump and we're now under some type of captive situation by foreign masters through their puppets, including Joe Biden. That's a very, very significant statement at the end. Yeah. And kind of leads me to my final question, because that definitely means we're occupied, even by proxy. So I'm going to tie this in with kind of just pull this together. This vax issue, which we haven't touched on a lot, but we, you sent me this piece the other day, which I've, I have read as well. It's, the 1,000 athletes that have now died of this vax. This is a very lethal attack that's come on the United States using trust as its delivery system, literally. Yeah. And so we have a about a 95% injection rate in our military. We have 40,000 National Guard members that are going to be ejected at the end of this month, which is uh, going to, it's about 13% of the, of the force. We have... Uh, a, a serious problem here with with national security and the compromise that it goes on here. And so we're faced with an occupier in the White House and we're faced with a need to take this country back. Kind of map out what you see ahead here, Juan, because these, this is a pretty heavy time for a lot of people to process. Well, um, first of all, we're Americans. We're not going to fight each other. There may be some people that think they can agitate and get us to fight each other. January 6th is a perfect example. In spite of literally using munitions and weapons and personnel that were operating collectively in a weaponized way to try to incite, to agitate, to cajole, to coerce the crowd into some kind of a frenzy, uh, and to get them to occupy forcibly uh, the congressional building and to, to do all sorts of things. In spite of all the efforts, that was a crowd that showed up in prayer. That was a crowd that was actually a very peaceful, peaceable crowd. And all of their efforts were um, unable 
to get them to go into some kind of a feeding frenzy. Uh, that's America overall. They've got groups. And when I say they, who's they, who's they, who's they? These people that are agitating, trying to cause America to collapse internally because they want to install a global uh, uh, authority, global authorities, starting from, and I'll say it very precisely, City of London, the bank. They hope to create, you know, their new world world order, working in collusion with people inside our own government. At the end of the day, when people say, you know, the government has turned on us, the government, you know, does that no it hasn't. It's a captured operation. Agent provocateurs, Manchurians, people under the influence being bought, honey potted. What do you think what do you think Epstein, by the way? What was he doing up there? Out there? He was honey potting people who that could then be blackmailed. It wasn't just political people. When Randy Andy uh, out of uh, England is there bringing people over, when Bill Clinton is bringing people over to Epstein Island, why are they bringing these powerful people there? They're setting them up. They're roping them in. And then when they get there, they get, you know, what's your flavor? You like teenage girls or younger? You want, uh, you want to have uh, human growth hormone fresh out of the youth? Yeah, we can get you a blood transfusion. We'll bring one of the kids in here and you'll get a pint of fresh blood that'll help you to reinvigorate. Literally, that's what, uh, that's what uh, McAfee was filming when McAfee took his boat out there and was looking at the island um, uh, with his $50,000 drone. Um, they were setting people up. Who was Epstein working for? Why did he get the sweet deal on the uh, original charges uh, with the uh, uh, prostituting of the girl? Because he was working for CIA. Ghislaine Maxwell was working for British or for uh, uh, the Israelis and British intelligence. They were roping people in. They were bringing various people in. They were running it like a, an operation uh, to, to, to get people roped in for their globalist operation. They were even bringing in professors from universities that handle all sorts of uh, students and requisitions and research programs, the greening of the planet, etc. cetera, uh, finance people, Hollywood people, everybody to control society by blackmail, by coercion, by honeypot. And, uh, uh, so now you look at, at, at the situation today, all of these things, remember, remember uh, Eisenhower said, beware of the military industrial uh, state. Well, what about today? Is that adequate? No, it's the military industrial, pharmaceutical, university, 
media, internet complex. Political should be added there. It's so much more extensive, expansive. It's Spectre, literally, in a James Bond movie. They've got everything covered. What can the American people do? I can tell you what's going to probably have to be done. And it's not pretty, and it's not something I say lightly. We're going to do everything possible to preserve the information from the 2020 vote. And if it's already been damaged or destroyed, we're going to look at ways to proceed with prosecutions of the people involved who unknowingly uh, damaged that vote and to help the ones that may have been involved innocently, benignly, not realizing what was going on uh, to uh, do corrective action and uh, uh, understand what's happened right under their noses. If we're unsuccessful in preserving that, I think the American people are going to be very pissed. Even if we are successful, are we able to have an election in November of this year? Um, I think that is something where, as the summer goes on, more and more people may be questioning and wondering, do we have to somehow pause? What would be the context for that? What could possibly be done to buy time to get this to the right answer? I know that people say, that's never going to happen. No way, not possible. It's going to happen no matter what. All right. Let's see. Um, if it wasn't going to happen, what would be the context? Why? Food crises, fuel crises. Right now, uh, the latest allegations, not just that we're not going to have enough diesel fuel to run our truck and train fleet. Uh, they're going to have to be working, you know, in brownout type conditions that have throttle. Uh, we're also looking at, uh, is there going to be enough lubricant for those engines? Because the diesel engines require a specific type of lubricant. You can't use the oil from regular cars in diesel engines. Uh, it doesn't, uh, it's not stable in the same way for foaming and, and so stuff like that, you, you know, ruin your engine. So, uh, how did that happen? How do we have a simultaneous crisis with the fuel supply, the exhaust emissions, DEF fluids, and the lubricating oil? Sounds to me like somebody had a plan. Spectre was there covering all the various options. What's going on with the with the uh, food plants? All of a sudden, miracle of miracles, food plants are burning down, airplanes crashing into them, all sorts of crises across the country all at the same time. You may not remember this, but a decade ago and more, Several of us were tracking and talking about it. I did numerous shows talking about the fact that some of the best and brightest researchers in uh, communicable diseases, in uh, uh, the various uh, types of vaccine studies, uh, 
we're all dying mysteriously. Some of the best pharmacy uh, uh, students in the world and professors were all dying at the same time in the most bizarre ways. Well, why was that? Because those are the people that would have been here during the pandemic to take corrective action, point things out, explain what's going on. The guy that developed the PCR test that held the patent right after this whole thing began magically dies. Oh, and by the way, he also said that the PCR test, it just tests for viruses present. You can't tell the difference between COVID and the common cold or flu. So if you see it, there's no way to tell if it's COVID. That's the dumbest thing in the world. Well, he's dead. He's not there to talk about it directly. So whatever anybody else says, that must be the truth. So again, we come back to this convenient situation where uh, our food storage and processing facilities are suddenly crashing down all at the same time. And look what happened up there in, uh, in Kansas the other day. They had 10,000 cattle. It was initially reported as 3,000 and it was adjusted to 10,000. They all die almost at the same time. <laughs> God, what? Oh, it's uh, global warming. Man, we've had a lot of hot weather over the years. What killed all those cattle almost simultaneously? Remember all those fires we had out in California? And they magically happened right along the path where there's a high-speed rail line that, that they want to build in. And oh, by the way, houses burned down to the ground, just the chimney left. And yet a tree right beside it has nice fresh green leaves, not even pinched. How in the world does that happen? Directed energy weapons. And you can do it over broad areas. You see those crop circles over in England all the time? How do you think that's done? Not a couple guys out there with a piece of plywood. It's relatively straightforward. That's uh, uh, guys having fun with synchronization tools. We're in a very, very dire, imminent situation right now. The threats are very real. The monsters want America to collapse internally, including by civil war, so they can fill the void, take our place in the world. If America is on the ropes, if we're going into civil war, if we're, our economy doesn't work, our banking system doesn't work. Our contract law system doesn't work. Our politicians are fighting with each other and states are taking up, you know, defensive lines and blocking the vehicles com from coming from other states, interfering with each other's trade, taxes, and everything else. They just walk in and fill the gap and take control of the world. What's the largest country in the world right now? Is it China? Is it Russia? Is it the United States? Now, the British Commonwealth, they're sleeping right in plain sight. Where did all that money for the Clinton initiatives come from? Commonwealth states, huge volumes of money for what they were trying to do. By the way, where was Clinton trained that he, you know, everybody 
touting. He's, he's so well prepared to be president of the United States. He, he gets his uh, scholarship. He's a Rhodes Scholar. What's Rhodes? Cecil Rhodes. What was Cecil Rhodes' whole thing with the scholarship? It was all about that um, the United States was a state in rebellion against the crown and that the United States got back under sovereign rule, crown rule. And so Rhodes scholars go over to England, to Cambridge, and other places, and they learn the British way. They learn how to try to integrate America back into under British authority. That is fucked up. Excuse me, but that's the way it is. They're trying to put it to us all the way up to the presidency. And by the way, What's Obama's real birth date? If his birth certificate is real, and the girls that were changing his diapers when they were babysitting him as a small child in 1961 at the University of Washington in October, when they were changing his diapers, he said he's trying to roll over and crawl. Well, it's early October. He's only two months old. Babies that are two months old don't try to crawl. That's a baby that was seven, eight, nine months old if it was a day. Yeah, because he was born in March at the Peace Arch Hospital in Vancouver, BC. And it wasn't born to Stanley Ann Dunham. She wasn't the birth mother. The whole family was working for CIA and FBI as grifters. She worked at the USAID down in Indonesia in the hottest part of the world at the time. Obama was her cover for working there in, in that area. I could go into great big, huge detail on that. So what's Obama's birthday? What's the relevance of that? Because it's August 4th, 1961. What's August 4th go back to? It's the Queen Mother's birthday. He was born in a Commonwealth country, Canada. They picked a date that imprinted, hey, this is a tool of ours, and then handed them off between the intelligence agencies. What was the origins of the CIA? OSS, Office of Strategic Services. Where did they get their blueprint for how to function and operate? Out of the Brits, coming into World War II. They're tied together at the hip. They're having a big joke. It's the security for the 13 families laughing at you. They're stealing the country away for their own purposes. They want to sink America like the Titanic, which I talk about in my first book. So they can fill the void. They don't have to go to war with us. And they later rein us in and bring us in and, you know, shoot our knees out and then give us a crutch. That's the problem that we're facing right now. We're not going to take it, but we're not going to attack each other. We're going to take back our country. We're going to take back our vote. We're going to get it under control. If we can't get an honest vote in time, we'll pause it one way or another. 
to get to the right eventual outcome with candidates that are the true representatives of the American people, not chosen masters through some type of fraud perpetrated on the American people in a magic act made to look like we actually got to elect our own leaders of our own choosing. Well, I think that puts the focal point right where it needs to be, which is never let go of 2020, which is extremely important because we have to reset it. You know, I just, just add one thing for you there in, in my book, page 71, both first and second editions, I, I put an equation in there. It came, you know, it, it, it talked about it in the book. I actually literally had a dream. I was off the coast of Iran. And uh, I realized at the end of that dream, uh, what I was seeing was election 2020 will equal mega, make America great again, to the third power over corn. Those falsehoods, those creations. You know, by the way, Zuckerberg didn't invent Facebook. It was called LifeLog. And LifeLog, the code for LifeLog was stolen from a guy that invented it as the source code now that's down in Florida. But LifeLog was developed, perfected, about a half a billion dollars inside DARPA Defense Advanced Research Program. And then the day that that program was shut down, uh, February 4th, 2004, at noon, at the same hour, Facebook was incorporated February 4th, 2004, and became this huge juggernaut that it is today. Who had the power, because Zuckerberg didn't create it, who had the power, who had the authority, who had the pull to hand something over to Mark Zuckerberg that literally cost hundreds of billions of dollars to create and that they knew, because they were going to guarantee how it went business-wise, they knew it would be worth hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars in very short order and then be able to be used to manipulate, to cajole, to um, uh, run this herd, this American herd of people, this global herd of people, like a cattle herd to certain directions, to the slaughterhouse, if you will. By the way, elections are held on the first Tuesday, uh, uh, you know, after you know, whatever, in November, uh, after the last moon thing or whatever. And it's, it was known as the Butcher Day for hundreds and hundreds of years in the occult. So the, the Slaughter Day is actually the day that we use for our elections. So talking about herding electors has a certain significance uh, to the slaughter. But if Zuckerberg didn't create this and it was handed to him, who do you suppose he answers to? He answers to whoever gave him all this wealth and power and position. What, what is it in 2,000 mules? What's the focus of 2,000 mules? The drop boxes. Who paid for them? Zuckerberg. He gave a half a billion dollars in order to get those drop boxes for the vote 
So literally a militarized social networking operation and our own American version of a Soros, Mark Zuckerberg, I'm comparing the two because they're both corn. They're both creations of the intelligence community. Zuckerberg, the intelligence community, supervised what was used to help cook the vote, one of several paths to guarantee that they got who they wanted in power as a puppet to take the world where they wanted it to go. You've got an energy crisis, a food crisis, a political crisis, and a growing nuclear crisis because they got their guy in power that they're puppeteering. And by the way, Putin's moving nukes into Belarus right now. They're training people to be able to handle them. I said five years ago, before this is all over, it would be just like the Cuban Missile Crisis. And I've stated that repeatedly. And here it comes. With Belarus and movement of nukes in other places, you cannot let them get away with this. If you can't solve 2020, you'll never get another shot in your lifetime. Election 2020 will equal mega to the third power, which is cubed over corn. And by the way, last thing I'll say, my second edition of my book, I put on the back page the key to that whole thing. I've talked about it a number of times. Trump used the language of semaphore to communicate with the American people and to other governments around the world. That's the language of flags. What was the flag stamp? It was Melania. Something that nobody else could counterfeit or uh, have control of. It wasn't on top of the White House. It wasn't at the Pentagon. It wasn't some unique location. It was Melania. When she showed up in public, every dress she wore was the flag of the day. And when you put them in series, just like the Admiral of Fleet ships at sea before they had radios and even after when they wanted covert line of sight communication, they used flags to communicate. First flag that was flown on that flagstaff was the Tiffany blue dress, white Tiffany blue, because that's the color that Jackie Kennedy created, named for the color on Air Force One. What was the message? What was taken away from America through the assassination with these people taking control of our country and the leadership? We've just taken back. We're here to take back America. If the first dress was important, wouldn't you think all the dresses in between also being important, the last dress would be the most important of all possibly? When President Trump left the White House and didn't stick around for the inauguration. She was wearing a black jacket. In semaphore, the black flag is end of message, begin new message as you're running the flag up the flagpole, if you're doing a continuous message. When they got to Mar-a-Lago, got to Palm Beach, the airport was Air Force One because he was still president. As they got off the plane, Melania had changed her dress and wearing a dress covered in orange cubes, 
and dark blue cubes. Every page of my book that came out a half a year earlier had that same orange cube. And the Trump one page was in blue. The reason that's important was the message that the president gave to America on his last day in office is the message from my book. It's all about election 2020. It's all about election 2020. You cannot move past it. If you move past it, you'll never get another better, fairer, straighter shot. And unfortunately, probably civil war for America because there's plenty of Americans that will not put up with this and they will not stand down. I agree. This is going to be, this is a big moment. So I apologize for breaking in there, but I just want to make sure we got that in. There's a lot of people that haven't heard this. Some of them is repetitive, but I really appreciate you letting me be as long winded as I am and give a really complete message. Uh, I talk, you know, to plenty of audiences all the time, but you gave me the opportunity to be as thorough and complete for hopefully a lot of new listeners that might not have heard my presentation before. No, it's a great one. I appreciate it. I'm going to break it into two parts. This is going to be a good show. Beautiful. Well, hey, Juan, we always close with a prayer, so if it's okay with you, we'll close with a prayer. Yes. Yes. Actually, let me let me say the prayer, if you would. Absolutely. Please do. Father God, I thank you for every person in this audience right now who has stayed all the way through to hear uh, the message, to understand uh, these things in detail, uh, for their patience in listening through. We know that there's so many people that uh, don't have the patience to understand uh, what's happened or the desire. And I thank you for every mind, every heart that's here right now that's had time to contemplate this. I pray that you would give them clarity in their thoughts, understanding, focus, how they personally can serve your purposes in bringing and holding freedom in the country so that we do have religious freedom and uh, that you would give them clarity of mind what their place is in these coming days and hours and months as we seek to regain control of the helm of our ship of state, uh, uh, America. I pray that you would give them strength and resources to stay in the fight and to be uh, not their brother's keeper, but their brother's brother uh, out into the community, out into the world around them to help to keep things steady at the, at the wheel while we sail through this storm ahead. Uh, that as many as be possible find you, Father, through your son Jesus, by the blood of Christ, that America would come to its senses, that we collectively would be able to repent of our sins, seek you out, and be saved as a nation, so that we can also, as a nation, go out not to enslave our brothers and sisters across the world, but be our brothers and sisters' brother, and to serve you, to do good, to do the things that are beautiful and right according to your will. We ask for that protection and peace and provision. Jesus' name by the blood of Christ. Thank you, Father. Amen. Thank you, Juan. It's a great, great conversation today. Really appreciate it. All right, all right, bro. Well, we'll be in touch and keep me in keep me in the loop of what you're doing too. Would you? 
Yeah, yeah people can go over to uh, 107daily.com uh, and uh, there's some amazing things that are happening and going to be happening over just the next couple of weeks. If they want to book uh, either my books or my third edition, Bonnet's Way, The Storm, uh, but if they want to order my books, they can order them there. Uh, they can also order them over at gumroad.com uh, under uh, uh, 107. And uh, uh, love to have them read it. I think it's important to read. Got gazillion five stars. I think it's had 30,000 five stars in the system. So it's, uh, you know, 99.9% five stars. So love to have them read it. And uh, appreciate your chance, uh, chance to share this all with you and your audience. Absolutely one. Well, have a safe travel for the rest of the evening, however long you're going, and we will talk very soon. All right. Thanks, Ed. Thank you. God bless, man. Bye. Patriots, that was Juan O'Saven, and what I consider to be probably one of his best interviews he's done, and very honored that he's done it here on Bards FM. I've been trying to get one on the show now for about three weeks, as you know. He's been very busy. And so and busy doing the sorts of things we need, not only fighting for Secretary of State positions, but also getting ready to release a new film. And I'm going to check the name on this film. This is coming out in July, and it's soon. It's um, the, What he sent the other day is it's called Bloody Hill. And Bloody Hill is all about January 6th. They were going through some pretty disturbing footage the other day when I spoke with him. Our nation's in a critical state right now. And we can't deceive ourselves. And we can't get down. And we can't get frustrated. Because there's one thing that we always have above everybody else. And that's our strength in God. And our feet on the rock of faith. It's going to take a lot to get through this. We are dealing in a true David and Goliath moment. We are dealing with an enemy that is overwhelming in numbers and in placement, not in numbers, but in placement and resources. We have the numbers. And so as his point said, when he wrote, and I'll be honest with you, when he first said it, that the, the reference he made to MAGA times 100 over corn. I honestly, I, I had to scratch my head at that one some time back, and it wasn't really clear what he was getting at. But we can see it very clearly now, that the awakening of people is coming to a massive head, that all of this has been orchestrated and been successful and possible because people have willingly accepted and digested the lies and propaganda which have been put before us by an institution and institutions, plural, that we should have been able to trust. But they have long ago sold their soul to the devil and sold out this nation for their own benefit, which try, turns our country, our leadership in this country, our institutions of leadership in this country into despotism. And we know what that means. Because our founding fathers understood very clearly that at a certain point we would hit this point. And in my belief, I think they knew it because they knew what we were up against. And they knew that it was inevitable. But they also understood something very critical. That as long as the people held to their belief in God, that they were strong in their faith, 
and were unwavering in the principles of the Constitution, no matter how difficult, that we would persevere. We are, we are in a critical moment, and we will persevere. But this is going to be the real gut check moment of who is really strong and who just talks about being strong. So as we continue to do, this isn't a time to wig out. This isn't time to go crazy. This is a time to get firm and push for truth like never before. It's a time to sow seeds. It's a time to sow seeds physically and metaphorically. Make your house strong. Get yourself prepared. Anticipate the storm that's coming. It's here. It's going to get more intense. Don't be in denial. Make sure that you are putting your needs to God. Trust in where he has you. You are there and you're in this place now for a reason. Appreciate where you are because wherever God has placed you, he's trusting in you to fulfill your mission. Our greatest mission right now is to expand the love of Christ, to have more and more people realize the power in Jesus and through that, the pathway to truth. And as we see that truth and as others see it with us, we become an indomitable force like never before. We are linking people together. We are building tribes. And it is in fury that we do it, not just in, in haste and in fury we are doing this. So our mission is before us. It's very clear. No time to waste and no time to tarry. Roll up your sleeves. Get your hands dirty. The war is upon us. And it is time for us to bring the fight to them. Patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. Keep your prayers up. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. Walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight. For Fishers of Men, until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising 
that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor, will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. We push, we climb, we never give in, we become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray, we stand, we live by the words, in God we trust, we fear nothing, we are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath. 